Hello, I'm Beatrice Valerie Nero, and you're listening to This is the Voice of the Prophet. I have walked in the office of the Prophet since God revealed the anointing he has placed on my life for close to 40 years. This podcast is a new territory that he has assigned me that I pray will be done as God ministers. The purpose of this podcast is to share the Word of God in a prophetic way under the anointing of the Holy Ghost as he ministers and speaks to my spirit as to when he would have me to speak to the listeners, you, his sons and daughters. It's also purpose to invoke open and honest conversation on the things that many people, especially Christians, don't want to talk about, which is racism in the body of Christ. I pray that God will use this podcast to enable us as his sons and daughters to talk about the elephant in the room that for too many years, pastors, teachers, and leaders have tried to sweep under the rug. You can help and support this podcast by telling your friends, families, co-workers, church members, and everyone you know about This is the Voice of the Prophet and how easy it is to tune in through any podcast server through this title. You can also help and support this ministry through your love and prayers. You can reach me with questions and comments by email at amyeagle at charter.net. That's A-M-I-T-E-E-A-G-L-E at C-H-A-R-T-E-R dot net. And finally, you can always reach me at my website at thevoiceoftheprophet.strikingly.com. And remember, if for some reason the podcast doesn't come through or to hear previous episodes, you can always reach This is the Voice of the Prophet on every and any podcast server. Thank you and God bless you. Now let's get into the word that God has for us for this week. Today's episode title is actually the first question that I will query our listeners with today. That question is, what makes whites now and then able to be so cruel to the African slaves and blacks? There has never, from the time of me recognizing the call of God on my life, have I ever spoken a word, written a line, or prophesied a message that I believed God had said to me and did not seek his face concerning what was to be spoken or written. Neither has there been an occasion in which I would not obey him, no matter how much I may have felt that I disliked or not wanted to do what I was being told. Just this month, I was scheduled to speak at a three-day revival in a Louisiana parish. As the time approached for the planned event, I continued to seek our Father for what he would have me to say. About two weeks before the meeting, a tragedy struck the family of the pastor and the revival was postponed. Before a new date could be scheduled, God spoke a different direction to me through his word, which was also confirmed in a dream he gave me. I knew that I was not to speak at the revival. As much as I had looked forward to it, and as welcomed as I knew I would be, I recognized and accepted what God was speaking to my spirit. 
when the person who originally contacted me about the engagement called to reschedule, I apologetically gave my regrets and declined the invitation. I knew that no matter what, my obedience to my father was absolute and non-negotiable. Disobedience was not and is not an option. That's in everything I do and every assignment our father has given me. That includes this podcast. This is the voice of the prophet. There has not been a time that I have not asked our father to lead and guide me concerning this podcast with every word I speak to you, his sons and daughters. You see, I know, yes, I truly believe that each of us will stand in the judgment for everything we do and say. I don't believe that we can just say things and forget about what we've said or spoken into someone else's life. Matthew 12, 36 reads, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. If we are to give an account for the idle words, the lazy, useless words that will not produce anything good from what's spoken, surely we will stand in judgment for the words that we are saying that God has spoken through us. With this awareness, I cannot and will not say or do things professing that God has told me to say or do them without a full realization of the promised consequences. It's not a matter of being seen or known as a false prophet, although if that were true, that in itself would be a terrible issue to deal with. But it's a matter of obeying God with my whole heart and my whole soul while bringing glory to his name. I have continued to seek our Father concerning this podcast, not in fear of God, but in a reverence of him and a resilient desire to glorify his name. That can only happen through obeying him and only him unconditionally. It can only be accomplished through much prayer, study, and listening to his voice as he ministers his word to my spirit man. In the times that I felt discouraged, disheartened, or even disappointed, for whatever the reason, I continue to obey because it's not about what I feel or want, but what our Father says. And believe me, the joy and peace in this walk in ministry far outweighs the trials and tribulations. For every person who seeks to do the will of God, there will be times and areas in their lives and ministries where discomforts, heartaches, and even sadness will arise. It's inevitable. During the night last Wednesday and into the early mornings of Thursday, I prayed, asking our Father for his will concerning my life and ministry. I had said to him earlier in the week that I wasn't petitioning him as Balaam had in the book of Numbers. I wasn't asking to do something or not do something that he had already spoken to me about. It was one of those discomforting times, and I just wanted to be sure that I was and still am in his perfect will. After my prayer and devotion time on Thursday morning, God brought me into Joshua 19. It reminded me of the word he had given me at the end of 2019 when he had, when he had spoken to me concerning new territories. As I read the passage of scripture, he also brought back to my remembrance the dream he had given me to confirm that word. In the dream, 
I, along with the couple who were my pastors at that time and her parents, through some traumatic event, had moved to Boston, where they seemed to be very happy. One might even say enthusiastic about the move. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like the house that had been chosen for us to purchase, nor did I like the fact that I saw snakes. Granted, the snakes were all enclosed in chicken wire cages or acrylic boxes, with the exception of one, but even that one was dormant. The houses were exceptionally close, so close that they butted one another at various angles, which definitely would not be normal or even practical in house structures. They were unpainted, weathered, and gray. For me, gray has always denoted death. I realize now that God was showing me spiritual depths. Also on the land where the Boston houses were located, there was very, very little room for growth or planting. In actuality, I live in a rural area, and even though there are houses across the street from me, my house is the only one on my side of the street from one corner to the other. My house and land are fenced in. It affords me the privacy I desire and was perfect for my grandchildren, along with their playmates, to run and play in, and yet not too big so as to keep me totally secluded from friends and neighbors. The houses in the dream located in Boston were a far cry from the small seclusion that I have come to enjoy in real life. And even in the dream, I knew it was not what I was accustomed to and that I didn't want it. That morning, God reminded me of the dislike I had in the dream for the new territory where we were supposed to move. The more I listened to God concerning the dream from almost two years ago, the more understanding was being revealed to me even now. The pastors along with her parents were very happy about the move, the new territory. They seemed to be quite content and not at all concerned that the houses and new lands afforded absolutely no room for growth or expansion. The close proximity of the houses to one another would not afford the privacy that had once been shared. In other words, I know now that I would learn and see personal things about others, things that I would rather not know. Even though I'm a prophet and already privy to many personal private things concerning people, this exposure would reveal something entirely new, different, unexpected, and completely unpleasant. This unintended invasion of privacy would uncover what had previously been confidential and hidden along with other dirty secrets. This new territory has allowed me to see the character and mentality of people who I have loved and cherished in ways that I'd never seen or imagined. And as the saying goes, there are just some things that you just can't unsee. What I've also come to realize is that the traumatic event which caused the move to that new territory, of which I did not focus on in the dream, was not only COVID, but also the death of George Floyd and the racial divide that would be uncovered and renewed. The snakes that were enclosed and dormant represent issues that many do not want to face and deal with. In order to avoid tensions and hostilities, there were things that some would not want to let out of their cages, but keep them locked up. 
These snakes being released would bring about the very tensions and conflicts that erupted during the summer of 2020, not only throughout the U.S., but within the church and the body of Christ, which continues to emphatically deny the racism that's within it. Don't disturb or bring up anything that would cause one to have to take a stand. Just keep quiet about everything. Don't say a word and that will be enough. Had I chosen to remain in the ministry where I was, the revelation of that dream would have been my fate as well. I know now that my new territory is not in a place of death or where there can be no growth or expansion. It's not an assignment in which I'm to keep my mouth shut and just pretend that everything is great. My new territory is here with God, facing the challenges, speaking out against racism, and facing the enemy through the sharing of this podcast with all that our Father would have me to share and speak to those who will listen. My territory is not a dry, dead, unproductive one in which the enemy will remain undisturbed. I will not be silent. I've been listening through Audible, a book published last year written by Isabel Wilkerson, the first woman of African-American heritage to win the Pulitzer Prize for journalism. Ms. Wilkerson interned at the Los Angeles Times and the Washington Post and became the Chicago Bureau Chief of the New York Times. She also taught at Emory, Princeton, Northwestern, and Boston University. The name of her most recent book is entitled Cats, that's C-A-S-T-E. In this historically based book, the writer, Isabel Wilkerson, mentions an event concerning the thawing of a glacier uncovering dead reindeer. When the caucuses thawed, they released the very disease that had killed them, anthrax. Once this pathogen was released, although dormant for years and years, it became just as deadly as it had been from the beginning. She compared the release of the once dormant disease to the liberation of another level of racism that had also been not dead, but dormant and waiting for a time and opportunity to rise up once again. Racism in its cruelest and most deadly form has been uncovered like a lethal communicable disease. And yet for many whites, they are still as content and satisfied as they were before this event occurred. These past months, I have been sharing the messages and words that I know God has spoken for his sons and daughters. And although I know that I'm hearing him, it still amazes me as how he continues to encourage me through his words to me. He lets me know through each of you, as well as through others, that I hear and understand that it's not just me, but so many others that are speaking the same words. There are many others that are still crying out against racism in the church and the body of Christ. In the book Cast, it goes into specific truthful details of the hurt and pains of slavery, delving into its very origin and how the very conception of slavery itself evolved. And no, it didn't just start with the slaves from Africa, but once the African slave was brought into America, 
the inhumanity and hatred evolved to monstrous and brutal levels. I'm amazed at the things she writes in her books, and some of them are the same things, some almost verbatim, as to what I've shared in previous episodes of this podcast. So no, I'm not crazy, off target, or off on a tangent. Whereas Ms. Wilkerson's book is not Christian-based, it does allude to religious concepts in the caste system in India as well as here in America. The book is factual, and hearing the words of this writer inspires me personally to keep talking and keep writing. The writer shares so much concerning the horrendous, inhumane abuse slaves received at the hands of their white owners. She reminded her readers that the Africans were not just slaves, but hostages subjected to shocking and appalling tortures inflicted upon them by not only their white masters, but doctors as well. They were subject to any white person, no matter what position that white person may have stood in, young, old, poor, rich, male or female, the slave was subject to not just any one white, but everyone white. I begin to realize that one reason some whites cannot or will not allow themselves to accept the fact that their racism is not only not of God, but so absolutely wrong, is because it would force them to accept their inhumanity toward their fellow man even until this day. I remember when some of the more violent video games were first introduced, there was an outcry from society. It was said that these games of violence, blood and gore would cause children to grow up without a realization of how wrong killing and murder is. It said that they would become desensitized toward their fellow human beings. Well, that's exactly what happened during slavery. Lynchings, burnings, beatings, castrations, and of course, the selling of slaves were treated by whites as family outings. Pictures of black men and women after being burned to death and hung were taken and used as postcards to send to family members and friends in other states. Body parts of the lynched slaves were sold off or gambled for as souvenirs. Female slaves were used without anesthesia or painkillers for cruel, unnecessary examinations and experiments because they were seen as less than human, although their anatomies were exactly the same as white women. It was believed that their, that their pain tolerance was much higher than that of their white counterparts and drugs or medicine shouldn't be wasted on them. The female slaves were subject not just to doctors, but offered to any white man by the doctors for whatever debased reason he might desire. With the knowledge of prospective beatings and other forms of punishment, slaves were forced to smile when their children were taken from them and sold because their masters refused to let them be seen as something with emotions or attachments to other humans. It was taught that slaves had no feelings and could not feel love. That's allowed even to a dog. In the words of Ms. Wilkerson, Africans were not merely slaves, but hostages to unspeakable tortures inflicted upon them without remorse. 
after generations of whites from young ages becoming accustomed to this type of abuse against slaves, it is obvious that whites became desensitized to the feelings and emotions of black people. How else could police, state troopers, sheriffs, the Klan, violent white supremacists, or anyone else beat a person to death and then brag about it? How else could senators and congressmen sit and pass legislatures and laws that deny black, brown people and any other race that's not white their rights? How else could white teachers who supposedly do what they do out of love for children so callously treat black and brown children so cruelly? Why else would light-skinned black people want to separate and call themselves anything but black? Hence the term passe blanc. Whites have become desensitized towards any race of people that's not of their own race and background. They become so desensitized until they literally don't see any other race as being human or on their level of humanity, which allows for the hatred, abuse, and murder of those people. When a child is allowed not only to see, but to be taught as right the whipping, selling, and killing of another human being generation after generation, that child is no longer able to understand the humanness of that person. Not only do they not understand the other person's humanity, they have actually lost a part of their own humanity. From that point on, instead of having nightmares, experiencing trauma, or some other type of emotional shock, they looked forward to such events. And that lack of empathy has been passed on generationally. And then we wonder why the United States of America is so violent. So many white Americans don't want to talk about slavery because it goes against the perception of our country as a just and enlightened nation. There's a shame that comes with our history of slavery, so no one wants to talk about it. And when it does come to the surface, there's always a defense that says it's someone else's fault. That's what we hear when one says, my family never owned slaves. Whites didn't have to own slaves in order to benefit from slavery. There's a difference between talking about race and the problem of race, which makes people very uncomfortable. Not talking about racism does not make it go away. There's a push by many to ban the 1619 Project, which tells the true story of slavery here in the United States. That teaching has already been banned by three Republican states saying that it misrepresents American history. However, in the words of Joy Satiana, those who cannot remember the past are bound to repeat it. Join me next week for part two of What Made Whites Now and Then Able to Be So Cruel to the Slaves and Blacks today. 
I pray that this episode has been enlightening to each of you, and I pray that you will share it with others, encouraging your church members, families, friends, neighbors, and co-workers to listen to the podcast, This is the Voice of the Prophet, on any podcast server. Until next Monday, remember that I am praying for each and every person who listens, asking our Father's blessings and favor upon you. God bless each and every one of you, and thank you so much for listening.